Right. Uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest Eagle Eye View podcast uh, focusing on Crystal Palace women. Uh, I'll just wait for co-host Phil to join me, and we will be good to go as we look back at the weekend's game against Lewis. I just realised I've titled this the review of Coventry. Uh, well, it's not going to edit that while I'm waiting for Phil to join me. Here he is now. Hello, Phil. Can you hear me? You there, Phil? Hi, Mike. Yes, I'm here. Thanks. Can you hear me? Okay. I can. Yeah. I've just, I've just, as I put, review of Coventry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. It, I'm not talking about that again. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, do you know every, every time I listen back to these, uh, your when I first asked you if you're there, your first reply never shows up on the sound. Yeah, I've heard that as well. There's yeah. a gap in there. There's a gap. Yeah. Yeah. So it always sounds like I'm going mad that I ask you and then I I reply to no answer, <laughs> and then you pop up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it does that. Weird. But um, obviously, as I was just doing the intro, when I realised I'd messed up the title, um, but obviously we're going to be looking back at the weekend's game against Lewis away, um, and obviously there's no game to preview this weekend, so we're going to talk about what, well, as I've listed, there's other matters. Um, I know you suggested about the Equal FA Cup and... Um, Away stands, uh, dedicated, designated stands for away fans. Um, so to get onto those a little bit later on. Um, but obviously, first of all, the weekend's action. Uh, so as always, now just kind of run through the scores from the weekend. Um, a couple of surprise results. The first was uh, Durham drawing nil nil at home to Coventry, who, from what I can gather, went on the same. Offensive as they did against us, which was none. Uh, <laughs> only this one, they didn't. They didn't get a goal, um, but it's still a good result for them up at Durham. Durham kind of got off the ball a lot this season. Um, Rio Hardy doesn't really seem to be. Obviously, I don't get to see him, but it doesn't feel like Rio Hardy's perhaps having the effect that you'd, you'd have expected to have going there so far. Um, Burn, it's kind of the battle of the lower mid table, Blackburn. Beat Sunderland 2-1. Um, they're starting to get a couple of results now, Blackburn. They've had a really difficult time. Uh, Charlton lost 1-0 at home to Liverpool. Um, obviously, we lost 2-0 away to Lewis. Uh, Bristol City beat uh, Watford 3-1. Um, and probably the other surprise result was Sheffield United winning 2-1 at home to London City. Which in previous probably wouldn't have been a surprise result, but Sheffield United have had a tough time this year, obviously losing Katie Wilkinson. Um, they've had a bit of a difficult season, so that's a bit of a surprise result for them, given the position of London City as well. Um, that leaves us we're still in sixth, but the gap we had over both Lewis and Sheffield below us is all but gone now. Yet we're still only three, you know, we, a win would have put us in third still, it's mad. <laughs> Um, 
and just in our game, key points of uh, Lucy Porter made it 1 0 for Lewis after 49 minutes, uh, Isabel Dolce made it 2 0 after 57, um, and on 71 minutes, Shiv Wilson was sent off for a second yellow card offence. Um, so that's kind of the, the basics. I've got the stats, so I will um, bring them up in a bit once we've had a bit of a discussion about it. Um, but yeah, uh, Phil, you were you were there cheering on from the stands. Uh, I was at a family event in Essex, constantly checking my phone. Uh, um, so you know, from given that you were there at, at the game, but actually before I do get that, I just like I did last week, I just want to talk about or run through the uh, the lineup because obviously we discussed it heavily last week. Um, the absentees, you know, who was on the bench, and the, some of the, you know the goals and assists and stuff that were sitting on the bench, and why the formation and why the, the lineup was picked and stuff. So um, there were changes. Um, Emily returned in goal with Chloe being injured. She got, she got injured last week against Coventry. Um, from what I can figure now, I mentioned this in a minute, but I think we played a 3 4 3 and the four in the middle being a diamond. Um, but, to that out, um, but we had Lizzie returned in defence with Grace Coombs suspended, along with AJ and Gracie Pierce. It looked like Charlie Clifford, who thankfully didn't pick up a serious injury last week. Like it was first feared, like she sat in the hole with Sophie McLean and um, Amy Everett in front of her, and then Coral at the top of the diamond with um, Millie Farrow down the centre and Shiv and Walming and B on the other. Interpreted it anyway. Uh, we only had five subs, um, which were Kirsty uh, Hope Smith was our sub goalkeeper, but yeah, Kirsty Barton. Uh, Alex Tennessee, Izzy Sibley, and um, someone else is now slipped out of my mind. Um, is it Hannah? Was it Hannah? No, she was on the other one. Oh no, Lee! It was Lee. It was Lee Nichols, wasn't it? Oh, all four, all four outfield subs came on. Uh, Molly, Molly Sharp. Molly Sharp. Molly. We had a small bench. Um, so yeah, uh, so that was that was the lineup. Obviously, after what was being said last week, the check those changes. Didn't, um, but obviously, the result didn't. So uh, we'll start with yourself, Phil, because you were there. Um, your view on the game and how you found it. Yeah, I saw um, I saw Lee Hannah actually at the game, so I don't. Know. I don't know if they were both um, good, um, but they were there. They were both there, um, so obviously supporting the, the team. Um, that's what made me think they must have been on the bench because I saw them both together walking at half time. So, um, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the team was much changed, much more attacking. Um, and uh, we played really well first half, I thought. I mean, we could have easily have scored three in the first half. Um we looked, we looked quite threatening. Um, they, they're a good team, actually. I mean, they played well. I mean, the first half was pretty even, but I think we just shaded it on chances. Um, but Lewis did play well overall, especially in the second half, which I'll talk about in a minute. But 
first half, we were a bit unlucky because um, we created a couple of chances. There's one that B went through and the keeper just got there before her. We thought B might have been injured from that, actually, but she uh, managed to get up, thankfully, um, and, carry, and carried on. Um, another opportunity shortly afterwards, she ran through 1-1 again and managed to just uh, lob the goalkeeper. And the ball was just spinning. It's so agonising. We were right behind that goal and the ball was just spinning and it just span towards the post, hit the post and went out for a goal kick, I think. And um, really unlucky. Uh, she did everything right. I mean, it was just so unfortunate. Um, and then we had a corner that was hit off the line by the keeper. Made a, I mean, it was right. It was a brilliant go- brilliant corner from Shiv. It was an in-swinger from from uh, on the left on our right hand it was swinging in um right under the crossbar the keeper did i mean she was under pressure from a couple of players as well their keeper did really well to push it away i thought it was in i, I mean it was it was i thought it was going to go directly in from the corner so that was a bit unlucky as well and then i think coral had a shot that just sort of went wide we created quite a lot i thought we looked dangerous and we looked good, you know. Um, they they used the width of the pitch quite well. They did stretch us as well. Um, they number of times they went from left to right, and it put it put us under pressure. They had a bit of pace on the right hand side, and I think Lizzie found it quite difficult at times, one on one, with a really pacey winger. And they 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 seemed to switch it um, quite a lot from left to right, and and, and their right winger was was sort of quite dangerous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, uh, uh, I didn't think Lizzie looked looked match fit. I know she didn't play last week. I just wonder if she was injured last week and she's not fully recovered. Cause she, she just let, Normally, she's really sort of... The one thing that you'd say with Lizzie, her positioning, and she always recovers from... You know, when someone goes looks to go past her, she always seems to be able to get 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 a foot in. But I just wonder if she was not fully fully match fit because um um she didn't she didn't look um as mobile as she normally is. Um, but uh, and 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 they sort of capitalised on that a little bit. I thought they really put pressure on us down that side. Um, but yes, first half we were a bit. Um, bit unfortunate, really, not to go in leading. I thought we played well. Um, had no idea of what was going to happen. It's almost like the reverse of what happened the home game, you know. Whereas we played, we came out second half and we dominated. That's what they did. Um, they came out and um, and they basically um, they basically just did what we did to them. You know, came out completely different team. So second half they just. Um, they just dominated possession. I don't think we had a shot on target. I think there's one that went across the goal. Um, I think Molly just sort of um, put it across dangerously, but no one could get on the end of it um, in the second half. But other than that, I don't think we we had a shot on target. Um, Shiv obviously got sent off. I thought it was just two players sort of running into each other. I didn't think there was anything there. The referee couldn't wait to get his red card out. So... Um, we were down to ten men, and it was just so difficult then, wasn't it? I mean, you know, when and, and not not only that, but we're now going to miss you for the Charlton game, which she's going to get a one match ban for the two yellows, so she'll miss the Charlton game, which is going to be, you know, that's a huge huge miss for us, I think. Um, but uh, much better first half, really poor second. But let's give credit to Lewis because they came out second half and they absolutely played superbly. I mean. 
They really did. I mean, um, we didn't have any answers to the way they knocked the ball around and they just had so much more. They seemed to have more energy than us and quicker to, to the ball. All the 50-50s they won. Um, they hit the post three times. I mean, it could have been more, you know. It could have easily been more. Um, so uh, that just goes to show how much pressure we were under in the second half. But um, the thing is, though, it's a much much improved performance overall when you look at the first half than, than when we played Coventry. Um, so that's something to take from the game. Um, and, you know, it could have been more than two. So, you know, we managed to get away with a two-nil where it could have been three or four, really. They, uh, especially going down to 10 men, they, they put us under a lot of pressure. So, overall, obviously a disappointing result, but I don't think the performance was that bad. Certainly in the first, second half, you know, we just couldn't get into the game. Um, they were just quicker. They just, I don't know if they, they didn't seem to change anything tactically. They just seemed to come out and all fired up and they just sort of seemed to win all the 50-50s and get to the ball first. And, and so we struggled second half and uh, and, and lost 2-0. But, um yeah, just one of those things. I, I don't. I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was. I think it was a fair result, uh, but I don't think that um, our performance, certainly in the first half, I thought we played well actually. So um, I don't know what happened at half time. They just came out a different team, a bit like when we played them at our place, but the opposite opposite way round. Yeah, do you know, I I watched an FA play again this afternoon. Um, it is incredibly tough, as I, I mentioned a few times, watching the game knowing what the result's going to be when, it does, when it's not a positive result. And in 30-odd years of support of supporting Palace, I've never watched a men's game when I know the score is that we've lost. I, won't, I don't even watch the match of the day when I know we've lost. And I, I keep going to watch so that I can you know discuss these properly on this. I, I watch the games... Um, when we have to play a player, but I do find, and as I said in previous weeks, that it does give a slightly different perspective because I I saw sort of comments being mentioned yesterday about the game, you know, with how it was in the first half, how it was in the second half, um, and it paints like someone I had to follow other people's Twitter and stuff. It it paints this um kind of picture in your head of how it's going to be. And I have to say, when I then watched it, I didn't feel it It was quite how you just described it now, because I've seen, I know what you said, um, on messages and stuff. And watching it on the player didn't feel quite as, perhaps as bad, especially second half was as bad as you felt it was. Um, but then at the same time, perhaps not quite as even the first half as you, as you, you felt it was, if that makes any sense. Um, because you're right, the first half, we, we had some good chances. Um, as, you, as you've mentioned, the, um, when B got put through, their keeper, I mean, their keeper was out really quickly. But um, the rebound uh, fell to, I think it might have been Shiv or Coral. Um and it was looped up, but he just didn't have the pace in it, and it was headed away just before he got to the line. Um, and then, obviously, about five minutes later, B got put through, and the, the chip was beautiful, but as you say, hits the post and comes out on another day that goes in, and, um, you know, we're, we're looking at 1-0. Um, and as you say, the, the, the chance from the corner, and we had some good moments, but then so did Lewis in the first half. They were 
causes problems. We've had a few scrambles in the box. Um, they hit the post in the first. See, I only remember them hitting the post once, but I don't know if some. I, I, I must have. I didn't see the last five minutes of the game. Um, but in the first half, they hit it. They were offside, but it was another set piece where they put the ball in and had a great opportunity, you know. And um, it, they are our weaknesses. We will not really know. Um, but I thought the first half was a good game of football. Both teams um, played decent football. Um, both teams had some chances. We had some really good ones. And if we'd have gone in leading, you couldn't have argued, you know, I don't think Lewis could have complained about it purely by the the, the types of chances we had compared to theirs. Um, the, I don't think, well, I did notice that we did struggle to get Millie involved a lot. When you look at um, and a lot of our, our, our other games where we were on the run, the unbeaten run and that, we weren't doing, when we, we, we normally get the ball out wide with a lot of pace running at them. That didn't really happen as much this time. Um, despite the chances we indicated, we weren't cutting, you know, ripping down their, their wings and, and cutting. That wasn't really happening. So it, it was hard for Millie to get into the game because she wasn't really getting the ball. And when she was getting it, she's in a harder position to... Um, she's having to then do a lot of work, you know, to even get anywhere near the possibility of a shot. However, there was... Lewis were very lucky. They could have given away a penalty just before half-time when Coral won the ball just outside the box and she plays it into million space in the box. And I don't know whether it's just it's bobbled and caught Millie's foot wrong because the ball ball jumps up in the air or whether she's knocked it up with the aim of volleying it. I mean, if that was her plan, it would have been a spectacular goal to score. But um, as the ball goes up and she's going to go and control it, the defender kind of goes past her hands-on. But it's it's a, it's a light contact, which is why I think Lewis have got away with it. A light contact, but it's, it takes Millie down. Um, and the argument, when you you could say when you watch it, there is still contact there that prevents Millie from controlling the ball up in the air and possibly having a shot off of it. So while it's not like a clear cut, um, clear cut penalty, I'm not saying we definitely should have had a penalty. I think Lewis were lucky because I think any more contact on that and it, it would have been a penalty all day long. Um, it's worth looking at if you get a chance on just the, the main. Just curious for your own your view in it. To be honest with you, um, but second half, I, I don't think. I mean, when when you mentioned about and when people talked about before this pod about how they were in the second half, I envisaged that they were very much like they were in the first half at Hayes, and I don't think they were. I thought how they played in the first half at Hayes Lane was superb. And they weren't at that level second half, but they did come out the better team. It felt like they half time, and we hadn't done the damage with those kind of key players back. Um, and then they felt right. This damage hasn't been done to us. Let's, we we can kick on now, you know. Um, and that's how it felt like they came out second half. Um, and they were more dangerous. They did start to have a few minutes. Um, we were finally get out. Um, but it was 
it was still looking like it didn't. It wasn't looking like we were it, we were going to concede. Um, and in the end, the two goals have realistically come from defensive errors. Um, you know, with the first with the first goal, the ball rolls across the box. Um, I think it's Amy goes to clear it, and she's getting close down quickly. So she hits it, has to hit it quick, and it goes across the ground. Doesn't quite make the halfway line, gets chipped back forward, and AJ instead of clearing it, knocks it down effectively straight to a player. Um, and Lucy Porter, her the, the turn she does and the finish is a superb finish. But having just having done the knockdown that lost the ball, the AJ then you know kind of oversold herself. And just and created the you know left the space for Lucy, who then as I said did a great finish. Um, and second half, sorry, the second goal. Um, I mean they did some good play around it, keeping the pressure on us. But the cross comes in, and Lizzie goes to try and clear it, and it just deflects off of her straight into the path of someone in the box. It's just unfortunate that it goes straight to someone who then tucks it in the back of the net, you know. Um, but she then felt, designed when we went down to ten, we actually opened up more, and our, our best probably attacking spell was actually in the second half. Was actually once we were down to ten, um, and we had, we had a good, chance, great, a good ball got put through for Molly. Um, but again, the keeper looked like like she was at the start of the game with B was really quick off her line, um, and just managed to get to it and clear it before it was you know one on one. So yeah, I, I think it was a, it was a decent game. I don't think we were as bad as it probably looked like when we were there when you were there at the at the game second half. Lewis were the better team second half without a doubt. That's just um, and on the second half performance, can't um, question them. You know, uh, coming away with the points, um, but I don't think it was as as bad as it probably felt. And I have to say. She was sending off was was right. I could hear you all. <laughs> I could hear you all. Uh, your reaction when it happened, uh, and then the stick you were all giving the referee afterwards for for every little thing, uh, which is what I normally do at one of the Hayes. Um, but she had to go because before before she literally there's a spell. You know, you know when. Um, Sorry, sorry. Uh, John, do you mind just muting your mic for us, please, mate? Jeff, thank you. Um, you know, sometimes you see an incident in a game where um, a player feels like they've been fouled or wronged, and, and then nothing happens, and then they 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 react, and you can see them. They're just suddenly they're chasing down someone, and you know they're going to give away a foul. It's just like a guarantee. Um, well, that happened with Shiv because she. She got she was chasing the ball through to the box, and the defender beat her to it. And then she kind of it looks like she throws herself kind of shoulder wise into it and misses the player completely. And the player brings the ball out, um, and then passes it to number fourteen. Shiv turns round, keeps running, chases all the way back. And I'm thinking this. Might, I'm, I'm watching, it thinking this is going to be where she gets sent off. Um, because she's just going to end up out of frustration, 
do a silly tackle. She chases the 14 all the way down to near the edge of our box. It was just over towards the line. And the number 14, she stops, cuts inside, and Shiv basically just takes her feet out from under her and gets away with it. That then should have been, she should have been sent off then. It was a second yellow card offence because it was, there's no attempt at the, it was no attempt at the ball. It was petulant. And the referee pulls AJ over to tell AJ and Shiv, that's one, this is a, no more. So he, he, he warned Shiv then when really he could have, could have been justified instead of one of the Lewis fans starts shouting out, the next one, she's got to go, next one, ref. And he was right because really she should have gone to that one. And then it's not even a minute later and Shiv loses the ball. And then you say it's not a coming together. If you watch it on the on the on the player, she just she just runs in and takes out the 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 uh, sorry the Lewis player. There's no getting the ball. Doesn't really like it's an attempt to get the ball. It's it's a, it's another foul. And it's not even a minute after she's just been told. Basically, you you you're being let off with one now. Don't do any more. And when you when you do that, you've got no choice. It's it's just I, I, I think for whatever reason she was she, she just looked like she just sort of got she was frustrated. She was wound up and just wasn't thinking at the time. And as I say, it was completely justified. And as I say, really should have happened fifty seconds beforehand on the previous foul. So I, I don't think we can have any complaints about the. About the yellow card. Sorry, red card. Yeah, I think um, I do remember the incident beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it just looked to me. And I haven't really looked. I mean, I've looked. I've, I've seen the highlights on the FA player, which obviously showed that. Um, but I get, you know, to me, I just remember it looking like um, two players running into each other. I mean, she just sort of turned around and. The ball had just gone and they just clattered into each other. I don't, I don't think. I think the ball went to another player. So the referee could have just played to the advantage because they had the ball anyway, and it was just two players clattering into each other. But it's like he had the yellow card in his hand already, though. To me, it was so quick. You know, it was just like yeah. it was like where did these cards come from? He must have. He must. It, it was just like he was all. He couldn't wait to give it. You know, it's because I think he. Really, I think he made an error in not doing it in the previous foul. Um, I think because also you guys were behind the goal, so from that angle, it probably is why it looks more like a collision. But if you watch it on the the player, because it's the side view, I just well, I can't see anything other than a foul there. And as I say, it's fifty seconds after she's just been basically let off and told and warned, and the and the captain warned. You know, um, so I think that's why. It's like they all. I think he probably knew it was coming, um, because you can see. You know, we, we see it when Wilf does it. You know, where you can tell he's he's lost that temperament in his head, and it's, we all know he's going to do that. Found he just know it's coming. Um, so yeah, I, I, as I say, I think probably the angle might be one of the reasons why. What was the actual second yellow? Um, Perhaps look like just a collision, but if you look at it from the FA player angle, it, it, it's it it just looks like a foul. And as I say, really, she 
if you argue which you should have gone the one before. Um, it's one of those things. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have it for Charlton. Um, but I, yeah, I can't, I can't complain about about the card. Um, although, yeah, I think the only thing for me was perhaps the the formation a little bit. As I say, I, I might be wrong, but I remember messaging you. I was about about ten, twelve minutes into the game, and I had no idea what affirmation was. Um, and in the end, I say what I've read it out as I believe that's what it was in the end. Um, until I get corrected otherwise. Um, and I don't remember playing the 3 4 3 with a diamond before. But I just got confused because at one minute it looked like Sophie McLean was at right. And then the next minute she's so far over in the middle, I'm thinking, oh, she's at right back. She's drifted well out. And then I thought she was perhaps man marking just one play, you know, and was sticking to that player. But then as it settled, um, I could see it's a back three. But what got me was. Well, we've done the back three before. Gracie Pierce is not the central of the three. Um, apart from when Grace Coons plays, she then plays the central of the three. But I believe, uh, from wherever I see it, it's always um, Gracie in the centre and then AJ is the right of the three and Lizzie is the left. And this time, Gracie was the right and AJ was in the centre. Um, and that's probably the one thing that I, I don't really get why that change around happened. Um, and it was probably a little bit costly in the end. Um, but yeah, other than that, um, you know, it's just one of those games of football. Really, we've probably we've been due. I think Lewis has probably owed this one for a while. Um, and yeah, it's it's just one of those games that goes either way. If B if B's effort goes in in the first half at one nil, we probably win that game. You know. Or if we get, if there's a bit more contact, it was a penalty. We, we probably we go ahead first. We probably win the game. But once they scored, their their tails were up, um, and it took us a bit to kind of settle down. And by that point, it was two nil, and then you're down to ten. So I think we just it, it hit us, you know, um, which is probably why a bit of the decline in the second half. But um, that was just one of those games of football, really, where it could have gone anywhere at any time. There was something, Mike, um, in the second half. There was an incident where, um, which I haven't seen back. It wasn't in the highlights that I saw um, on the FA player, but it obviously will be in the full match, which I will look at. But there was an incident where a handball was given in the penalty area as we were attacking. Millie was going through. And it, we were right behind that goal. It looked to us as if the hand was actually their defender's hand and the referee gave it against us on the basis he thought that Millie had handballed it. Um, and we we couldn't see that because from where we were, it looked like the, the handball was actually one of their defenders. Did you, did you remember seeing anything on the FA player when you looked when you watched the game about that at all? Yeah, I think it looked handball by Millie. Um, oh, it did. Because you can hear you guys all going, what about the other way around? I'm thinking, I, don't, I thought you meant like you thought it was a foul. Um, but when looking at it, um, it does look, I mean, her arm's kind of by her side, but where she leans in to control it, it does. As soon as, it, as, soon as she connects with it, I thought, I bet this blows up for a, for a free kick. 
Um, so yeah, I think it was. Um, look, I only looked at it once because trying to on my phone trying to rewind incidents on their player is not easy because you end up going back far too far. <laughs> I've already done that on about four other things. Um, so I only watched that one the one, but yeah, it did look like a. I it, I thought it was a handball by Millie. Just, um, I didn't think it was one by the defender, or at least if it was, it, not first. If that makes any sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm just, yeah. I mean, I'll have to have a look at it again. But we were right behind that goal. We couldn't. It all happened very quickly. I must admit, but. We all thought we, we we all of us thought that's handball that's a penalty because it looked like maybe it's just the angle that we saw it the hand that came out but it looked like a hand from one of their players rather than Millie because I think Millie did have her arms quite near her side yeah. um, well, but maybe it was just the way it, it looked from our angle then where you where you were saying because you're behind the goal the defender would have blocked the view of the front of Millie in her arm. So you, there's no way you guys would have seen Millie handballing it from what, from what right. I'm watching it. I, you just wouldn't have been able because they're all the two players are so close together. Um, and as I say, it kind of just it's where she controls it. It kind of up, up chest area slash arm. Um, so yeah, you you guys wouldn't have been able to see that it connected with Millie. Um, but looking at it on the looking at the one run through it. I, my first thought was it was a it was going to be a free kick to them. Yeah. Um, just run through some stats from the game. Uh, we actually had fifty one percent possession, and they had forty nine percent. It's the second week running. <laughs> We've had fifty one percent possession and lost. Um, they had five shots on target. We had three shots on target. Um, they had ten shots off target. We had four shots off target. They had six corners. We had six corners. So statistically wise, it, it wasn't that. It, you know, as I say, they were definitely the the better team in the second half. They they up they you know they, they stepped up a bit second half, and then um, just the error gives them the goal that really didn't look like it was going to even before their play didn't really look like it was going to come. I felt, um, and that just kind of just started the the, the the downward spiral because um but you know say so still statistically wise it was uh, a fairly close game um and I have to one thing I need to bring up because obviously last week we discussed at length about selection um and you were you know I understand it but you were saying about all the players we had us sit on the bench in Coral and Millie and Shiv and B and um, all the goals and assists we had to sit on the bench and you know, we've ended up losing 1-0. Um, and I gave my, my views as to why I felt Dean did what he did with the team selection. Obviously, this week, all of those players played and we lost 2-0. Uh, and it was 2-0 before we were down to 10, whereas last week it was... The the goal came well, you know, well after we'd gone down at the ten. So I've got to say, obviously, you got what you wanted in the in the, the change of players. Um, but the result in the end. Um, so any thoughts from yourself on that in regards to selection? 
Well, I was pleased to see the team line up, and I thought it was the the first half performance justified making the changes. Um, yeah, okay, we lost two 0 but we were away from home and are playing against a much better team than Coventry. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Lewis were a much, much, um, a much higher quality team uh, playing against a better team, and uh, we were away from home. Uh, and we created an awful lot of chances in the first half. And I thought um, um, that justified it for me, the, the change. And I thought we looked a much more dangerous team. We looked, Every time we got the ball, we looked like we were going to do something. I thought B played quite well first half. Uh, she was very unlucky not to score. Um, I thought I thought it was good to have her. I, I really enjoyed her and having her back in the team. Um, she was a threat, I thought. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, um, I, yeah, I thought, I thought overall it was a much more um, positive performance. I thought we looked more likely to score than we did against Coventry. We were playing against a better team away from home, though. That's the difference, you know. I think if we had put that team out and played that way in the first half against Coventry last week, I thought I would have expected us to be at least two 0 up against that Coventry team because I don't think they're as good as Lewis. Um, I think Lewis were a much much better team than Coventry. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe if we went more defensive and played that team, the Coventry team against Lewis, maybe we wouldn't have lost two 0 I don't know, but we probably wouldn't have scored again because I don't think we had we had the creativity against Coventry. I didn't think we looked. I didn't think we looked like scoring at all in that game. Um, whereas um, against Lewis, I thought we played much more positively on the front four. I thought we put them under pressure um, and I thought we could have scored two or three in the first half. Um, and if we'd gone in leading at half-time, um, the way we played, I, I think that would have been justified. But, yeah, I, I think it's, diffi- it's difficult to sort of say, you know, we lost 2-0 and, 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 and with, a, with a more attacking team because I don't think you, you've got to take into account that we're away from home against better opposition. So... I don't think you can. It's not really like for like for me, you know. The two the two teams we're playing are very different, and um, but I just look at the performance as a whole, and I just thought the performance against Lewis was much more positive and a better performance than it was against Coventry, and we're playing against a better team, so you know it's diff- more difficult to, to to create chances against a team like Lewis, I think, than Coventry, because I don't. I mean, I just think Lewis are. A better, much better team than Coventry were, so um, so yeah. I, I mean, I, I was pleased, and I'm, I I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't really have changed much because I think with a little bit more luck, we would have won that game. Um, I think the first goal was always going to be vital, and we unfortunately we just didn't have the luck to get that. Whereas, you know, on another day that could have gone in from B, and it would have changed complexion of the game would have changed. So, yeah, I mean, you could argue that you know we. You know, we could have possibly done it the other way around. You know, when we were at home, put the more positive team out and away from home, put a more defensive, sort of solid team out there. But I don't know. I mean, I think you just have to try and win every game, don't you, really? I mean, one thing we don't know, of course, and we said this last time, is we don't know who was injured, who was not in the team out of tactical choice, who wasn't fully fit last week, you know. So it's impossible for us to say, you know, we could have put that team out against Coventry and it might have been a different result because we don't know if they, if players were going to be fully fit or could have started that game. 
it's, it's this thing about the, the lack of information we get. You know, we don't get any press releases. We don't get any pre-match interviews or, or anything. So we don't know who's fit and who's not. Um, we don't know why Lee and Hannah weren't on the bench, even though they were at the game. You know, there's all these things that, we, you know, which is why we're making our views are just opinions because we don't know the facts, you know. And, and unless we know that someone's not available or not fully fit, we can't. All we can do is say, well, they want those players are on the bench, so we're assuming they're fit. So to have 22 out of 28 goals sitting on the bench against Coventry, to me, didn't make sense. But we don't know. We don't know if they could have started the game. We don't know if they if we if if they weren't fully fit or or what. So it makes it really really difficult. And all we can do is just make an assumption. Ones on the bench, then they could have started, but that might not be the case. You know, they might they might just be there because they can give us 10 minutes at the end to try and win the game if it's level or something. I don't know, you know, and they're, but they're not fully fit to start the game. I don't know. But um, uh, so it's difficult to make any judgment on the team selection because we don't know who's fit and who's not. We don't know anything about, we don't get the information. And it's, an, it's yet another thing that is frustrating about women's uh, football. Um, like so many things, you know, there's a lack of information all the way through the game. Um, and we need to have some sort of um, press conference or, you know, um, pre-match interview or something whereby we can get a little bit of an update. You know, in, men, in men's football, they do it all the time. And it's really useful to know, you know, if someone, like, you know, James MacArthur's not fit this week, for, for example, you know. Um, so it's just useful to know. I don't think in women's football that we're giving away uh, secrets too much. You know, to be honest, if we say that, oh, B's not fit this week or Cole's not fit this week, I don't know if the other team are going to change the way they play significantly because of that. You know, I really, I, I mean, I don't think we're giving much away in women's football. You know, to be honest, I mean, if we had no forwards, I mean, if, for example, there was an interview before a match and Dean was to be interviewed and he said, Millie, Millie, Molly, Coral, Shiv and B are all out this week. Obviously, you know, that our opposition will take that and think, right, OK, well, we, we can play in this sort of way because they've got no, they've not got the same threat that they would normally have with their pace, you know. Um, but by saying whether or not someone's fully fit or whatever. I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. I don't see the itch. I just, as fans, you know, who travel around watching the team, we need, we deserve better information. And, I, and so we're making judgments about team selections without knowing all the facts or, the, or what, what's going on at the club. We just don't have any information. Until that changes, we will be making um, these sort of predictions and and criticising team lineups because we don't know why someone's not playing. You know, we're just making all these assumptions based on what we don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You're right about the, the press conferences. Um, I mean, when we're playing in the championship, we've only got five on the bench. Um, it's it's nice to, know, to have a rough idea why. Um, just because, yeah, just for us, you know, as a fan's point of view, you kind of want to know um, who you got available. Rough idea, anyway, you know, just because we're interested, aren't we? That's we're invested in our teams, and um, we have all the discussions about it and stuff. And then, 
you have, you have these talks about it and you turn up and all these people aren't there. Um, so yeah, I you know I, I think it needs to be part of the game. There's a pre and a post match conference. Um, just before I um, invite Ben to speak, because I know he's requested, um, and John did earlier, and it, it's, it dropped him off, I think. So if he wants to request it again. Um, but before I do invite Ben on, just, just to play Devil's Advocate for a minute, because I just, I'm just what I do. <laughs> but just, just you know, just out the, out the fairness of it all, to look at it the other side. Um, going on what you're saying, I hear what you're saying about obviously Lewis being a better opposition um, than Coventry and the um, you know, so you, you look at it, the performance against them was better, we could have had goals. And if B's one had gone in, it'd be a different thing. I completely hear that, completely understand that that, that argument to it. Um, but just to, to play devil's advocate, look at the other side of it. Uh, a couple of things on that would be one, I'd imagine, just like I did, and just like I probably a few of us, a few others probably did, expected Coventry to to come and play a much different game to against us. Do we've Katie Wilkinson up front? Um, I can't imagine uh, that Dean and James and Co thought that Coventry were going to come and basically attempt to do nothing for the entire game, uh, and which is what they did, which meant they would have been incredibly tough to break down, even with our flair players on. Whereas Lewis, because Lewis played football um, and they played good football and they were they were pushing forward, it was giving us opportunities when we got out to be more creative. Because um, we see it, don't you? you see it all the time in the men's game. When teams come and sit in at Sellers, we just get nowhere against them. Whereas the moment we play, we play well against the better teams because they come and actually play um, and it gives us the space to, to to use our strengths, and that's what Lewis did. Um, because they played that way, it meant we could express ourselves a bit more. Whereas it was a lot more difficult against Coventry because they just sat in. Um, and the other thing is you say about you know if B should have gone in, true, but we should have scored twice in the first fifteen minutes. I think it was against Coventry. Um, Alex and, and Molly both should have had goals. They, they, and they were more, for me, more guilt-edged chances. I mean, I mean, B could have done any more than what she did with hers. And it's just the luck of where it bounces, isn't it? But um, that was more of a... That was a less clear-cut chance than what the two we had against um, Coventry were. Um, so we should have been ahead. And if we'd have gone ahead in that game, I think we would have got a heavy scoreline against Coventry. I even still felt in the second half we were going to beat them. Losing um, losing Greg's going down to 10 is what kind of scuppered us. I think if we'd have stayed with 11, I think we still would have beaten Coventry. Um, so, yeah, I just think there are there is another way to look at it. Um, and I suppose it's just that mindset of what you want out, how you look at a game, which is um, we, I just feel we haven't got the balance at the moment that enables us to play the expansive forward play and be defensively solid. It's just this second half of the season, it, that balance just isn't there. And I think that's probably what um, it, the, the, the team's struggling with at the moment to find what formation, what set of 11 players 
balances it out best, which I think Vieira's had to do with the men as well. I think where we kept conceding goals last minute and stuff while we were playing fantastic football, he then went really, really negative. And at home, we weren't even picking strikers and have, or having shots. And now I think he's starting to find a balance of um, getting it, you know, the best of both ends type thing. So, um, but yeah, that's just my, it's not a, it's not a criticism or anything. It's just, I like to kind of balance it out a bit, you know, and how it can be looked at um, from another side. There's no right or wrong to it. Um, but Ben, before I ever mention the next thing, which I've already forgotten what it was I was going to mention, but I don't know if there's anything that you specifically wanted to say where you requested to speak. Yeah, hi Mike, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, mate. Right, great. Okay, can I just, um, another really interesting podcast. It's very good that you started doing this. Um, it's it's really interesting to hear. Now, can I just support what Phil was saying, please? Um, what he's saying about information and media, and this is all to do with this question of full-time status and funding, because if we're saying the players are working full-time or part-time jobs, and then they've got to train, how much time does that leave for out for outreach work to the media? Okay, they do clubs try on Twitter. Let's just talk about Palace because this does this does vary between clubs. Um, and so I think this is connected to where women's football is still at in many clubs that people are full time footballers and the operation is funded properly, then you would have more time to reach out to the media and perhaps even to podcasts like this one to give us a little more information. I'm not, as I say, I'm not criticising anybody. I've got nobody in particular in mind at the moment because, especially at Palace, because if the players are working for a living and then still training, you know, their, their commitment is already astonishing. Right. So I think that is connected to stuff that we still need to fix here. If possible, when I say we, anyone who's in a position to support women's sports and if possible, invest in women's sports. Um, I suppose also at the moment, media gatekeepers connected to where women's football is at. Media gatekeepers can only devote so many people to covering women's sports because their readers and their sponsors in particular want the sponsor's name next to men's sports because most people follow men's sports. Now, the media, a lot of media outlets are trying to change this. Clearly, media gatekeepers and editors, sub-editors have still got to look at the bottom line. Your sponsors, your advertisers, excuse me, your advertisers want their their name, brand, next to the subject matter in the paper that attracts the widest audience. Now, clearly, for many reasons including active prejudice against women's sports, such as the ban on women's football in 1921 for 50 years. Men's sports enjoy an incumbency advantage 
uh, that, a phrase I saw Matthew Syed use in the Times a few years ago, which sums it up perfectly, that men's sports have got themselves to an incumbency advantage here, which I do think um, we need to look at as a society. Um, this is to do with, as I said once before, women's place in society as well. Do we value 50% of the population? But that's a very broad topic. I won't say any more about that now. On this theme uh, of media uh, information about the players, um, you mentioned about Lucy Porter. When I, I saw Lucy play back in 2016 when she was at Villa and she went up against Villa were part-time then and she went up against Manchester City. Very, very full-time Manchester City. Now, in that game, this is 2nd of July 2016, Lucy Porter played in defence and I will tell you she was outstanding. And her manager, Joe Hunt, said that afterwards. Now, when she returns to English football from university in America, which is in December, she came to She's on Long Island. Nothing. I put this on my, and I said, which obviously only has a certain reach, look out for Lucy Porter. She is a top player. I hope at some point she may get picked up by a WSL club. Um, and again, that apparently we we do sometimes cover players who've been in America and come back. Alessia Russo did. Lots of women. My they were both at North Carolina. What a top program to be part of. But I would like to hear more of these human interest stories from players who've been to America. What did you learn there? How did you get on there? Including from Lucy Porter, who, by the way, was also a top tennis player when she was young. So she would be a great person to interview. Now, I will I, I will stop in a moment, guys, but can I just say, um, I did see a tweet from a guy called Reese Land, who's an agent who runs an agency called, this, uh, called Next Gen Sports. And he is asking for people who would like to do to run stories about the champ about the championship. And his agency have, and I heard him say this on All for United podcast, his agency have many times tried to get more coverage of the championship. So there are people out there who I will email him and suggest, see if I can help. But ultimately, most of us are not professional journalists. We have to work. And there's only so many hours in the day when we're not working, but we can do stuff like this. And you don't really want to be interviewing players, which is important to get it right when you interview the players. We don't really want to be doing that if we're exhausted after a day at work or, or not as alert as we would be if we hadn't had to work during the day. So uh, I think the, the organisation or the, 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 the pair team, the team of two girls on the ball, they started in 2020 with the Olympics and they've worked themselves into a position where they are now nationally recognised. So you, you've got people doing it. Sophie and Rachel at Girls on the Ball need medals for doing that on top of full-time work. And I, I believe they still have to have jobs. I don't know if their football journalism, women's football journalism, earns them a living so that they wouldn't have to work. So this is all part of what we have to look at which we've discussed before. 
many thanks for having me on, guys. Another fascinating podcast. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, no, cheers, Ben. Um, and some great input, as always. Um, I think the only thing I'd say is, I think where Phil and I, and Phil, please obviously correct me if you disagree with what I'm about to say, but I think where Phil and I have things in mind when we talk about the pre-match press conferences, we're not talking about sitting in a room with some journalists or even sitting down with one journalist. We, we've, we've, we hired a couple of months ago um, a, a part-time media person for the women's team. I think the, I remember looking, I, I looked at the application because I wanted to apply, but it was, um, it was like 20 hours a week, I think, and you had to be able to travel all the way and I, with my full-time job and that, I just couldn't do it. Um, but we've hired someone who to do the media role. They've got the Twitter account. Um, now, at times, they do bits and pieces on there, but that Twitter account is nowhere near as active as it should be. And when you look at some of the other championship clubs, they put some great stuff out, um, great little videos, little bits, and, and we, our account could do more. And I think when... We and let's say Phil, if, if you, you're thinking something different, please say. But um, I think how, when we think of it, all we're after is like the, the 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 lady who does who is in that media role to put a couple of questions to to Dean on the Friday or Saturday when they're training, um, or you know, or even on match day, just a couple of minutes, just a, a couple of questions that they can then put out on Twitter. Her interviewing Dean, so, you know, it can be, or it can be a couple of pre-written questions that you know he can just answer at home or something like that. Or if they needed to, we can put some questions forward and then she can vet them. And do you know what I mean? They've got the they've got the time. Well, I say the time, I know they're really busy, but I mean, like, it's not like on when you watch a Premier League program where the expectation is right. Get in front of this camera now, manager. We need you to answer these questions. They'd have the luxury of saying, well, we can get it on Twitter a bit later on. It doesn't matter. So we can assess what we want to see. But that's what we're after is just like on on the Saturday on the Twitter or even on the Sunday morning, just, a, you know, a, a, a three-minute clip where um, it's just a couple of questions, you know, like how's trading been this week after last week? Um how are we looking on the squad front? You know what I mean? A couple of questions like that. We don't need a 40-minute answer from, from, from Dean or James, whoever wants to do the interview at the time. Just a little bit of something. So when we tell you, you've got a rough idea. What You, you know, you, you're, you're more part of it. You know a bit more. You, you, it's not a surprise when you see the lineup. You think, well, where's half these players? Where's this and that? What's going on with this? I wonder how we, how we felt after last week. You know, just a little bit like that. Bit of a post mate. It doesn't have to be straight after the game. It could be hours later. It could be Monday day that they could do the this, the management reaction from the weekend. And again, just a couple of questions where they they get asked a couple of questions and, and a little bit of input from it. I think that's what we're what we're after. Um, I say, Phil. I don't know if that's if there's something different how you envisaged it, but I, I believe you've been thinking along the same lines. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just having some information that's useful 
Um, because all we've really had recently is we have updates during the during the games themselves, you know, but they're quite brief and they're just sort of, you know, um, a chance for Palace uh, cleared off the line or something, you know, um, just sort of really sort of, I don't know, maybe over the course of the game, there might be 10 or 15 updates um, on the Twitter account. There was um, a period where for about four weeks running, we had a Friday um, question and answers. Some of the players, which was like five things, you know, favourite match, um, you know, just very general questions, um, giving a bit of information about some of the players. But that sort of ran its call. That ran out after about four or five weeks, I think. Um, and it just sort of seemed to stop. Um and and that was that's interesting, you know. Just it gives you a bit more. It makes you a little bit closer to the team. You, you understand, you know, you get to know the players a little bit more about where their background is coming from America, especially. You know, uh, we've got um, Izzy Sibley who's come over from the states, so um, things like that. Really, I think they're really useful. You know, to know about um, where people have played before and a little bit of uh, information about that. But I think the key thing, as you mentioned, Mike, is information about you know who even if it's after the um even if they hold it back until after the team's been announced you know um even if even even if we just have an update as to you know why so and so is not even in the squad you know they've got a slight injury hopefully be back next week you know that sort of thing um but we don't get any information so um i just find it really sort of you know just i just feel a bit detached um, from all of that, really, which is a shame because, you know, we are in, uh, uh, you know, if you're trying to get the interest in women's football, then you need to give people the information to keep them interested. I mean, I'll be interested without the information, but some people, you know, will be interested, pushing for the club to do a lot more. Um, the men's club, you know, the, the overall club, and they have recently put um, ad- advertising women's matches on the big screen at Sellers, which is good, um, and stuff like that. You know, for International Women's Day, the most prominent, you know, picture on the on 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 the uh, on the Twitter account was a was a Palace uh, women's player. Um, so they are doing certain things. There's a lot more, you know, that we what we want them to do. Um, but um, I just think something that's quite straightforward and easy. I think your point about just some, even if it's just in written form, it doesn't have to be a videoed interview, you know, just a, just, just um, a few comments um, before and after a match, you know, um, uh, just summarising what Dean's thoughts are, being the manager, you know, um, just just a couple of tweets, you know, um, because I know some, I mean, Coventry, for example, after they beat us, their, their, their manager was interviewed like 20 minutes after the game. In an hour, it was on YouTube. I mean, the manager's thoughts on the on the on YouTube after, within an hour of that. There's no reason we can't do things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, if, they, if, if Coventry United can do it, then Palace can do it. There's no excuse. Well, so I think, I, Mel, think, I think Mel Ray, Sunderland's manager, and their part time, she does. She does um, interviews as well, I believe. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. I'm sure there's loads actually that do, and uh, we don't. And I just can't work it out, really. You know, even if it's not a video interview, just a few comments. You know, just you know, thoughts on the game. 
um, you know, just 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 a, a reaction of some kind. Uh, I've seen. I've also seen. Sorry, Phil, to jump in. Also seen Melissa Phillips do it at London City Lionesses. She speaks very, very well. When they get, sometimes she's on YouTube or it'll be on City Lionesses websites. And she's she's. I love the way she talks football. Sorry to jump in there again. And she does, and they don't even have any fans to watch it. That's the. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, no, one's, no one's ever met a London City fan. Yeah, they get they get a video interview. <laughs> but this is the thing: as those of us who are proper football fans, we love everything about our football clubs. And you know, it isn't just your match day. We we live and breathe our football clubs twenty four seven. You know, three sixty five. It, it's every day. So in in the modern day, because the you know, a lot of the fans now, they don't know what it's like on a Saturday having to wait for 42 pages of C-Facts to flick through to get back to the score again. And but now with phones and all the social media and stuff, there's so much more of an opportunity to, to just build that connection between fans and players because anyone that wears a Palace shirt, you know, well, I say anyone, I can't say anyone because there's people like the Jordan Mutches of the world, but most players who wear Palace shirt and it would be the same for fans of other clubs, you know, they're like our, those players are like our extended family. You know, we we care about those players. We you know we want we want to, we're fascinated to know more about them. We want to be a part of it. So, like the men's at the moment, they do the videos, don't they? The debates, um, but I, on the training ground, like one the other week was. A cup of tea, milk in first, or or tea bag first, and this one was doors or wheels, and and they're silly little things, but as fans, we love watching them because they're our players, and especially the mood around the club is so good, and we just enjoy seeing the human side of the players. It's more than just going out on on a, on a Saturday and, and kicking a ball around the pitch, you know, because it makes us more connected to the players. And same with the manager comes out, and. You want it's like after a game, you want to hear what your manager's got to say because you, you're curious because you've got your view as a fan of what you've seen, but you want to hear the, the guy who spent all week preparing for it. You want to hear what he's got to say about it. And I found this last night driving back from, from Sellers last night. Talk sports, but Amy just saying they're going to hear from both managers. We need from both managers, and then it took about an hour. And then finally, the moose does his interview with Patrick Vieira. He asks him three questions, the first of which was uh, his thoughts about the title race between Liverpool and Man City. Who cares? No Palace fan gives a crap about what Vieira's view is about the title race between Liverpool and Man City. None of us care. Well, we want to know what's his thoughts about us having just drawn nil-nil and then not scored a goal against us in two appearances, two games. And, you know, and it's... And then the other two questions. One, he, he lacked research on the on the last one, and so you know, we want we just want that little. We don't we don't want tons. We just want if you can ask our manager three questions, ask our manager three questions about the, our football club, not someone else's, not another story that's in the papers. Um, you know, and that's what we want. It's the same with the women's team. We just want just that little bit. We know that we know they're they're bad at the juggling obs and the football. We we understand that. We do get it. All we're we're not asking for tons and tons of stuff. Just just a little bit more. I think 
ironically, the reason I say about the video interviews because I think they'll actually probably be quicker than if they were trying to sort out then have to type out something. Um, but you know, just just something like that because it was great. Like when um, Millie one week and Shiv and B another week were coming out and doing the, you know, we've ended up on their Instagram and stuff, celebrating answers. We love all that kind of stuff. So we just that's what we're asking for is a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't care if, if the media person she went round and like as the players arriving, like what's your one word thought of the game? So just just something, something little that that's there because I, I believe you can easily get that from the players because our players are so accommodating. Um, you know, just just something is what we want, isn't it? We just want more from our. We just want to know more about our football club, be more involved in it, know more about the players, be more part of it, and. Um, you know, I yeah, just build that connection. So, you know, that with in time, it might happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, unless anyone else has got anything to say about um press conferences, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up about in relation to not just the Sunday's game, but others. Um, before we move on, so anyone else want to say anything about press conferences? <laughs> No, Mike, I think you've covered it perfectly there. Um, just more information, please. That's what we're saying, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, well, the other, thing, the other thing I wanted to kind of just mention quickly, and it was inspired by Michael's question on um, the Loyal page of that. I have noticed our number one fan doesn't seem to be in our, uh, our, our talk currently. Uh, very disgraceful. But I think he's missed a few of them lately. I'm going to have a word. But he uh, he um, asked about, uh, you know, the thoughts about why, but, you know, behind the results dropping and the possibility about being full-time, not being full-time. And I feel, I don't know from your standpoint, but because I know we have talked about it before, but I really feel, because I looked at it, because I remember the last season, the second half of the season, we went on a run. We just we just struggled to win games, but I wasn't sure if I was just making it up in my head or not. So I looked before I commented on it. And from Christmas, we only won two league games. One of them was against London Bees, who we beat four times last season. I mean, everyone beat them. And then it, the other one was Lewis on the last day of the season. So two league wins in the whole of the second half of the season. Um. And it, if it wasn't for, I mean, we obviously we we, we got our, our highest natural finish, a seventh, but we went at, we went into the Lewis game looking like we could finish ninth or tenth, I think it was, um, was a possibility, and then we 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 won in the ninetieth minute, um, and it jumped us up to seventh, and it's obviously now this season the first half we were fl- phenomenal, we were flying, there was no conversations about have we got a balance between attack and defence because we were just excellent in our games, you know, we only lost two, both of them were by a single goal, uh, we were creating chances, we were one of the high scorers in the league, um, which I believe we still are one of the highest scorers in the league um, but we've now got the second worst defensive record in the league um, but you know, there was, we were flying up the table, it was just, we were winning games it was None of these questions, but obviously, um, this in the second half of the season, it, it's it, it's dropped off, um, and I do wonder whether 
a big part of that is because we're part time and where the players are having to work so damn hard in the, their day job and then do training, which they're now doing four days a week and the match day. That you know, and then they're coming up against teams who all they do is train. Their job is training and playing, um, and that it just isn't sustainable across an entire season. Because if you look, you know, all the other part-time teams really struggled the first half of the season and now they're starting to pick up results when we're dropping off. But then I suppose they've not burnt themselves out in the first half. I do wonder whether the part-time element to it plays a big part in that. Um, and that really, we far excelled in the first half and now we're more into the rhythm of what we've known every other season so far since we've been in the championship, which we will have some, you know, there's losses, there'll be the odd draw, it's draw and then win against, the and then there's no momentum in that. Um, because I think, you know, realistically, if you look at our results uh, since the return after Christmas, it's probably about where it would be on par with previous seasons, which is, We've lost against the top teams um, quite convincingly, but we beat Sunderland, who's a team around us. Um, I mean, Lewis is always going to be a hit or miss game. It's one of those games that would go either way. The blip would be losing to the, the you know the defeat to Coventry, with them being bottom. But then that's balanced out by us winning at Durham. So we're probably really now, while you know we're doing the pods and obviously after what we achieved in the first half of the season, there's the frustration of why it's changed. But it's probably because the second half, we're now where ourselves and probably all the, all the part-time teams end up being during a season, which is just a bit bitty and a bit up and down because, it, it as I say, I, I think I do wonder whether it's being part-time. It, after a while, it starts to take the toll and it just... This is where the extra legs, the extra fitness, uh, the extra freshness of the full-time teams gets to kick in. And there's more and more of them every season now. Um, but yeah, that, that's just, I just want to kind of add that point in. I don't know if you had uh, any thoughts on that or further to add to that. No, I think there's a very strong possibility that, you know, um, they're putting so much in, aren't they, the players? I mean, I, I just wonder whether or not there is a bit of exhaustion. And um, it's so difficult for them, isn't it? They've got full-time jobs, most of them, and uh, and then they have training four nights a week. I mean, they don't probably have much of a social life because all their, all their everything they do is around football, even what you eat and, and going out on a, on a weekend. You know, it's all around the football, really, playing on a Sunday. So... I'd imagine, you know, only the players could really say whether or not, you know, they, they feel tired and exhausted um, because they put so much into this season. The first half of the season was the best ever, wasn't it? I mean, um, and you can almost understand that the, it, why they couldn't keep that up. I mean, it's just, it was phenomenal the way in which they were playing and the you know, amount of goals we scored, some cracking goals. I mean, I think this season... 
we we could have our own goal of the season competition just from Palace goals because we've scored some so many amazing goals. Really, very from the very first game against Bristol City onwards, we've scored some amazing goals. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, I was just I was just looking back actually last season, and you're quite right. You know, if we'd lost that last game against Lewis, we would have been on 17 points instead of 20. We would have finished um, uh, ninth, um, just above London Bees and Coventry. Um, so, and even if we'd drawn that game, we would have um, we would have uh, finished eighth, just above Blackburn. So, on goal difference, so it was um, yeah, it was a t- it was tight at the end of the season between those last sort of three places, you know, between seventh and tenth, uh, seventh and ninth, I suppose. Really, um, we could have easier yeah finished there, but um, but yeah, I mean, thing is though, we got twenty points last year. We've we've beaten that already this year, so it's progress, and that's that's what we've always said. As long as we're making progress, moving in the right direction, and improving each year, that's all we can really ask for. You know, we're up against full-time teams. We've all, you know, which again, a club like Palace in the Premier League should we shouldn't be in that position anyway. We should be able to match other teams financially, but we obviously aren't for whatever reason. Um, which we've talked about um, and, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me that our other first team is not given enough uh, finance out of £160 million a year that the club brings in um, from TV money in the Premier League, etc. And you've got teams like Reading, Birmingham, um, uh, etc., um, who, who have funding their women's team more than Palace excuse for it it's shameful to be honest I've said it a million times you know and I will continue to say it there's absolutely no excuse for it um you know the amount of money that they put in out of 160 million is is is, is shameful it's pitiful and um we should the players deserve more we're in a position where we can do more other clubs might not be able to do that but we are there's no excuse for Palace you know we've got Premier League TV money and whatever, 20 million a year. And then we've got all the sponsorship and everything, Premier League being on TV all around the world. You know, our income each year is about 160 million. There's no excuse for us not to fund the women's team. And unfortunately, unless we do that and we give these people a living wage to be a professional footballer, then, of course, you know, they are going to be tired and, and it's not fair. And I feel I feel very sorry for them. Um, and, and I'm not surprised that our results tail off at the end of each season because they put so much into it. There's only so much they can do. You know, physically, it just takes so much out of you. Um, I mean, the one thing we, we, we've always said, and I'll continue to say, is that despite all of that, those players give 100% every single game. They run their legs off for us, you know, despite all the barriers and the challenges they've got of having to work um, another job and, um, you know, not be a fully, not be, not being a fully, and playing against players who like Liverpool, you know, they, they, that's, they just train and they prepare for the games and they do everything right. We can't do that because we haven't got the time or the facilities or the money um, to put that in place. And, and it's disgraceful to be honest, you know, and they put themselves around that because the only reason that, 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 that they can they can possibly be for not funding um, the women's team in the way that they do, for example, the academy, uh, the under-18s, under-23s, in the men, 
the only reason it can be is because they're women and that to that, that to be honest is embarrassing they should be embarrassed that they're not doing more for their other first team you know and um and i'll keep going i'll keep banging on about it because something's got to change there's no excuse for it and those players and those people that work for the club dean and james and chico and and all those people deserve better they put so much into it um, and all we can do is just keep plugging away and keep putting pressure on the club to actually invest and fund this team in the way that they deserve to be funded. Um, and uh, that's all we can do. But unfortunately, other people's visions, and I, I still can't work out why, but it's just shameful, to be honest. 100%. And for me, you know, Steve Parrish has got a daughter. And I'm sure he'd be the first to be, you know, complain if his daughter was being held back or being treated differently purely because she's a female. Yet he's happy to do it to other people's daughters. Makes no sense to me. Um and just very quickly on the, the work ethic sign out the work ethic of the team this season is just phenomenal. I've, I've, you know, they the, the, whatever the results are, you're so proud of that that team because they just don't stop. You know, before I went down against against London City, and we're still playing like I've said it before, like it's only one nil, and we're we're chasing an equaliser up until the 90th minute. I mean, it's a dead game at 90 minutes and you five one down, and our players are still still going. That against you know two weeks running now, we've we've played, we've been down to ten in the second half, and we were two 0 down on Sunday, down to ten, and we're the ones in the front foot trying to create chances, trying to push forward. You know. Right until the end, we don't they don't give up. Um, and it's incredible, and and to do that with how busy and how tiring their their whole entire week must be is just phenomenal. And as you say, they they deserve all of them, the whole lot. They deserve players and staff so much more than the lack of support that they're getting. Um, and you know, I'm right there with you. With you know, we will keep pushing. Um, that's all we can do. Um, I think that's probably a, a reasonable segue to kind of lead ourselves into a wear of time. But um, just, you know, a couple of the other two topics briefly, uh, one of which is the Equal FA Cup. Um, obviously, this field is one of the things you suggested to talk about. Obviously, this has come about from the work that uh, Lewis have been doing, Lewis Football Club, um, I think for about three years now, they've been putting a lot of work into suggestions of how to move the game forward. Um, ourselves, uh, in as part of the, the Women's Fans Football Collective, um, there's some people in that group who've done some phenomenal work over the last few months in the um, no, ifs, no ifs, no buts, and we want an equal FA Cup campaign. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't take part in it because we'd already been knocked out of the cup by then. So, in terms of the actual singing it on a match day, we couldn't do. But obviously, we've been there sharing and tweeting out as well. Um, with the massive disparity where Chelsea is the women's, the women's FA Cup had a prize fund of 25,000 and the, the men's winners had 1.8 million, uh, you know, um, and Obviously, the issue with through several of the rounds, I think even now, for some of the teams, probably like, I think for like Ipswich, they're in the quarter final. You know, they're in the 
the third tier of the women's game and they're in the quarter final of the FA Cup and they're not actually making money from being in it. You know, it's costing clubs. They actually have to pay, be out of pocket to play in an FA Cup round. It's just been ludicrous. But we did the campaigning and the FA did say that they were going to change it. Um, and obviously it came out this week about um, the, the total prize fund I believe from next season will be three million, um, which the equal side of it that we were, we, you know, we were long term seeking, but it's a very positive step forward. Um, what they haven't said is how they're going to do it, because if all if most of that money just goes to the teams in the last few rounds, it's kind of pointless because they're the teams that have got the money compared to the others. So we're hoping it's, it's filtered down to the early stages for the lower teams, but it's still a, a great step forward. Um, and obviously something, Phil, that you uh, you wanted to, wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, um, it's incredible, isn't it, that um, you could be out entering a, a competition um, <laughs> and actually, you know, every every step you take... Uh, might cost you more money and, and actually you might not you might save money by being knocked out I mean what is the incentive there um, just to give uh, just to give you an idea um, the first round proper of the Women's FA Cup this year season 21-22 the losing club if you get knocked out in the first round proper there's three preliminary rounds but if you get knocked out in the first round proper which I think Palace did the prize money for getting knocked out in the first round is £215. £215. That's what you get for travelling to Bridgewater. It wouldn't even it wouldn't even pay for the coach. I mean, you know, it wouldn't even yeah. pay for the coach travel. That's and the winning club got £850. So um as you go down, um like for example, the quarterfinal. So you're in. You're basically in the last eight, like like you said with Ipswich, right? Ipswich are in the third tier. They've done remarkably well. They are the. They're the romantic FA Cup story in the women's game. You know, it's like the equivalent of I don't know, Crew being in the quarterfinal or something. You know, in the men's. Um, it's just it's just a romantic story. Um, for Ipswich to be in uh in the quarterfinals, the last four. Of the major, the you know the number one women's cup competition in the, in in England, and if they get beaten, they will get a thousand pounds. They will get a thousand pounds, not even a hundred pounds per player. You know, you couldn't even give them a bonus of that with that, out of that money of a hundred pounds for getting to the quarterfinals. That's why it had to change. The total prize money was three hundred thousand in the women's FA Cup, which was a disgrace. It's been it's been increased tenfold to three million. So now what we need is and the FA haven't decided to or haven't come up with the with the with the detail yet. But now what we need is we need that money to not just go to the semi-finalists and finalists, because that means that Man City, Arsenal, United, Chelsea, all those teams will get the money. And what we need is we need the money to actually be filtered right down so that the teams that go out earlier on can use that money to make sure they improve and do better next time. 
and use the money to um, support their women's development. Um, so it's no good the, 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 the prize money being top heavy. We need it to be distributed fairly right the way through, right down to the first qualifying round, you know. Um, the losing club in the first qualifying round got 100 quid. So what we need that to be at least 1,000, you know, just for entering the competition, you're going to get, even if you just lose 8 nil in the first game, you're going to get 1,000. You know, it needs to be at minimum of some, you know, a reasonable amount, maybe not, maybe 5,000, I don't know. But there needs to be some 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 um, way of making sure that the money filters down to the teams that really need it. Because um, at the moment, you know, 40,000 of the uh, 300,000 goes to the winners and the, and the, and the runners up you know 25,000 for the winners and 15 for the runners up so that's a big that's a substantial amount of 300,000 that's more than 10% of 300,000 goes to the winner and the, and, the, and the runner up so what we need to do is we need to make sure that the, the teams further down who get knocked out earlier who will need the money more than the Chelsea's and the Man City's and the Arsenal's they get the money so it's a really good first step you know tenfold increase from 300,000 to 3 million first step does it go far enough of course it doesn't we need more than that in the future um but what they need to really think about is you know they're talking about the win the FA Cup being for you know for all well why not just have one sponsor you know why do we have a different sponsor for the women's FA Cup why can't we have one sponsor for the men and the women's and we distribute the money from that sponsor across equally across the two tournaments you know because you can't increase the level and the quality of women's football unless it's got it's got the right funding it's like it's, it's like a vicious circle so you know realistically what we need to be doing here is we need to make sure that the money's filtered into the women's game so that they can compete properly against the men as ben said the men have had a 50 you know year head start more than that you know um and um and so the women are on catch up you know the women's the, the attendances back in the 1920s for the some of the women's games were, were, were as much as if not more than the men were getting you know so it was there and it's not their fault that they were stopped from playing for 50 years so there's a little bit of catch up there's a little bit of making it fair there's a little bit of making sure there's an incentive. But most of all, it's making sure that the people that want to play football who are women get rewarded for success properly rather than lose it. You know, no no football club should lose money for entering the tournament. And that's what it is at the moment. So there's a long way to go. Um, and we just need to sort of make sure that eventually, you know, we get some sort of raw amount of money getting into the women's game so that we can continue to see that progress and it, it must not be top heavy with the money at the very top of the game because those are the teams that don't necessarily need it as much you know man city do not need you know a hundred thousand pounds for winning the fa cup they don't need that whereas giving someone ten thousand like bridgewater to get into the second round is going to be massive for them you know massive the difference that will make to bridgewater is just incredible whereas man city 100,000 for Man City won't make any difference whatever. So what we need to do is make sure that it's distributed in the right way. I don't know if um, Ben has a view on that because I know that um, uh, you know, Ben's I, I, you know, I, I enjoy Ben's uh, comments on 
women's football in general, and this is more of a general point. Um, but yeah, that's my view anyway. A hundred percent. That's the thing, isn't it? Money always goes to money, but it, you can get why a long time ago, um, you know, some you know, the, the thought process was, you know, well, the further you get through, and that you get you get you've achieved more, so you get more. You can get where that originally came from. But the fact is now, with the way the structure is of the game, there's so much money in the Premier League that why is that money going to us when you rebuild, you've got to build from the bottom up? And in the women's game, especially at the moment, where it's trying to, you know, build from scratch. Um, and it, it's it's so, many, so far behind men's game because they got forced into it with the ban and just the lack of investment since that if the game is going to become more self-sustaining, you, you need this, you know, you need the prize money. All clubs, the men's football clubs rely on it. There's a reason why all these top clubs want to get in the Champions League because they want the money that it comes with because they need that money to help sustain themselves going forward. You know, it's the same as why everyone's desperate to get in the Premier League because that's where the money is. You need that that money coming in. That's not money that you're earning. That's money from a TV company. That's money from sponsors. That's money, you know, they, these clubs rely on it. And it's the same in the women's game because I, I, I get the point of, you know, at the moment it doesn't pull in the crowds, it doesn't pull in the numbers, it, it wouldn't the TV ratings and stuff. But that's because you're giving it nothing to to build with and and that money um the increase as you say it's you not to use the old adverts of you know um three pound a month and they can build buy their own fishing rod and go fishing because they're buying them the fish but um you know it's that um kind of mind that kind of mindset of as you say ten thousand pounds for bridgewater at this moment in time, would be massive. That would cover fees and all sorts of stuff for that football club, which then means money can be put into elsewhere. And once you start being able to have, once you start having that, that extra money into the football club that is coming in because you're in that competition, then the club can start to grow because it can start to invest it into different areas that enhance the football club. Um. And then that work pyramid. Um, so you're hundred percent right Phil, with everything that you said, and that is what needs to happen. And and hopefully that price money will pot will go up, and hopefully they won't do what the thing that we all know that they're going to do, which is put it all into the later rounds so that it, it fuels all their favourite teams. Um, but you're hundred percent spot on. It need, it needs to spread through. That it's stuff like that is what's going to help the women's game grow and get itself off the feet and start to become self-sustainable. Um, go on, Ben. No, I thought what Phil said was outstanding. <clears throat> I, I can't put it any better. I've said more or less that on my Facebook page for a while and I've done school assemblies when I was in teaching uh, until 2018. I did school assemblies where I said that, Mike, I would just briefly like to emphasise something you've said there. Um, if your daughter, I don't mean you personally, but for men 
looking at the situation with women's sports, which I agree with you still is not quite getting the investment it deserves. Things are better than they were, but I'm afraid that was from a very, with the ban arriving in 1921, things were at a very low ebb, to put it mildly. So if if things are better now, that's not saying, it is saying something, but we're not where we need to be. So I would also look at it from the point of view, Mike, as you were saying, it will both of you were saying, if your daughter was involved with this, would you be happy at the general situation and the way she was being treated? I also feel actually that as people have said on Twitter, such as Reese Land, who runs Next Gen Sports, I mentioned him earlier. I'm not on a retainer to mention his company or him. I was going to ask. <laughs> he, I saw. I better say that. Uh, it, Reese was also saying, "You've got to consider the welfare of the players in whatever deal you offer them." So, I would. If it was my daughter, I would want the person sponsoring her or paying her to play football to also be thinking about preparing her for life after her playing career. So I feel that the players would deserve, and all of this is academic, until I win Euro Millions, all of this is academic, I realise. But I think you have to prepare the players for qualifications. So Rachel Furness was saying the other day on a Liverpool podcast, she wants to go into management and coaching. I feel there should be an amount, X amount per season, per season that a player is involved with the championship of WSL, an amount that goes to her to for her qualifying for stuff after football, for life after football, on top of the salary that she gets to play. So that we are looking at where the players are going to go after they stop playing. Um, This is something that the Professional Cricketers Association have to do a lot of work with because cricket, and I'm talking about men's cricket at the moment, cricket has an appalling suicide rate um, in ex, uh, among pros when they stop playing. Um, I, I maybe put that a bit strongly. I should, you know, the, 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 if, for the number of players involved, the suicide rate down the years is unacceptable. Um, and the PCA have done a lot of work with that. I do agree with what you guys have been saying. A little background about the players massively helps to sustain interest. Um, When Anna Ivanovic first broke onto the women's tennis tour in 2005, I feel that Anna was a huge asset to women's tennis because her backstory was fascinating and very brave having to learn the game under NATO bombardment in Belgrade when NATO 
was at loggerheads with President Milosevic, you could say understandably, because his behaviour was fairly brutal in Kosovo. But nevertheless, whatever the rights and wrongs of that, Anna's backstory was genuinely interesting. Now, someone could, could also add to that, Anna was a tall, is a tall, stunning woman, and that's what generated interest. Now, I only agree with that to a certain extent. That's an accident of nature, and people know damn well it's an accident of nature. What they're looking for is substance. Was she a good tennis player? Yes. Did she? Was she a character and very articulate, even in English? Yes. Did she have a fascinating backstory where she was brave in Belgrade as a girl? Yes. She showed personal initiative to get involved with tennis. These are the things that really keep people interested. One of the commentators was saying in women's cricket last summer that Maya Boucher, who I think is an extremely talented young player, uh, her mum apparently is from Iran. So one of the Australian commentators was saying, is she the first person of Iran woman of Iranian extraction to play professional cricket? First um, woman to play professional cricket of Iran. And just little things like that, I believe, are hugely interesting without obviously going too far because the player's privacy is incredibly important. But some background information on the players is vital. Thank you, Mike. No, no worries. Uh, thank you as always. For um, your input, um, as Phil says, you know it's, it was fascinating with your knowledge. You know what you bring to the table, um, and you're right, as you said. You know we we don't we don't want to know everything. Just just little bit. Just it makes the, the people that we're watching more human. You build that connection between them, and you know it gives you more say, reason to support them because they're, they're they're playing for your team. That's that's gonna be a reason. But I suppose when you that's where you look at like individual sports is some people support someone like as you say with tennis but purely based on skill um but then there are others you know it, it is that personality i remember when i was a kid i was a massive martina hingis fan what a talented player she was but i remember when uh, i think it's before our first wimbledon final and the, the interview that they did with her um on bbc was just fascinating about you know at such a young age what she'd you know, done to get to that that stage and what you've been through. That that for me, you know, built that connection. And while all my friends were Anna Cover fans, for you know, let's, let's be honest, the reasons one of the reasons you stated about Anovich, for me, it was about what a great player, how interested I was, and you know, the best she was. Um, so I hundred percent, yeah. We just, you know, it's nice. Isn't it? It's just nice to. To know that just those little those little bits. That's why when I do my interview, I'm really slacking. I need to write out some questions for Lee and Hannah. But when I do my art, interview articles, I ask like, "How did you get into sport football? What was your pathway there? You know, what was your inspiration? Because that's what we want to know. That's what we want to. You know, obviously there's always questions about favorite goal, or whatever. But it's, it's nice that you know a bit of the background. How how they got into it, where they come about to it, and um, so, yeah. But, um, Mike, your point about Anna Kornikova is very important. I get what you're saying there, that there was a certain draw to Anna Kornikova because, again, she's another 
um, you could say another tall, stunning girl in inverted commas. Now, I get there's a draw there, but ultimately the interest doesn't sustain if she's not achieving. Now, in her case, um, I mean, in her case, there was a stress fracture, a nasty stress fracture of her back. As you would know, that intervened to basically stop her career and that redirected her away from a grueling tennis schedule. That's probably all I'd bet. Her story about what happened to her over time is fascinating. In a public podcast, I'll be careful, but a stress fracture, unfortunately, cut short her career. Could that stress fracture have been avoided? Well, we won't get into that now. Um, but And also... Uh, one more example, when women's professional baseball in American in the American minted in 1943, um, Americans, a lot of interest at first was generated by, here we've got women, athletic young women, playing baseball in compulsorily short skirts. They weren't allowed to wear trousers. So when they slid, they got horrendously cut legs, but that's another story. They had to wear makeup. They had to undergo, quotes, femininity classes. But surveys, and there's quite a lot of evidence from the time that survive about this, that had the women's, had women's professional baseball, in, which lasted 12 seasons, started in 1943, had that been only about athletic young women who didn't actually know how to play the game, it would have quickly become a laughing stock. The number of people who, who left testimony from the time, including coaches, who, when it started, thought, this might be all right, but only all right. After a few games, they were saying to the public, you need to go and see this. These women are putting on a proper display of baseball and vast numbers of Americans went to see it. OK, it wasn't nationwide. It was located in the Midwest because the distances were too great. If you did it coast to coast, the distances in America are much too great. So it was Wisconsin, Michigan, um, some of Ohio. It, 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 so it was concentrated still that's far enough distances where you're using coaches as we know america's vast but a lot of testimony survives people initially were drawn because you're talking about athletic young women here and they go back because the baseball was top draw all right and and that's something we we must remember okay thank you mike no worries ben cheers um i'm mindful of the time um just very quickly, Phil, you mentioned about um, the designated stands for away fans. I'm just very curious. So I'm very mindful of if it's something we can look at for a, a minute or two um, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, but I'm just curious as to what made you bring up the topic. Yeah, I just think that um, it's something that I've always thought about, really, with women's football. Generally, um, there's no sort of designate you well first of all you, you don't generally buy tickets um as an away fan you buy tickets to go to a women's football match from the home team so for example i had to go onto the lewis website to get a ticket to go and watch palace against lewis on sunday um and there's no sort of 
uh, airway fans. Not that that's a problem. We're a friendly bunch, you know. We don't, we get on well with everyone. Um, but I'm just thinking that, you know, if we're going to try and get an atmosphere, and if we're trying to get football for women to sort of, I'm not saying rivalry or anything like that, because I don't think, you know, I'm not, I'm not that into into that sort of thing actually i just like watching football but at the end of the day you know i just wonder whether or not having a group having the supporters in designated areas um not not um forcing people to do that people can sit together if they want i mean i you know i i, I go to games uh I've, I've been to games with um i went to the watford game away with a watford fan you know who sat with us so um uh, for the women's game at Vicarage Road this this season, so um, I um, I'm not you know I'm not I'm not saying it should be compulsory, but I do think there should be if the ground allows. And of course, we are looking here and talking about um, potential non-league grounds, or you know sometimes not even proper football grounds. You know, that could be a rugby pitch, for example, that um, is used for the women's game. Um, I think Coventry um, United. I think that's a that's mainly used as a rugby pitch. So um, I'm not suggesting that um, it should be compulsory because I don't think it's always possible. And certainly with the facilities, you know, you might only have a, um, refreshments in one part of the ground. So you've got to give people an opportunity to choose where to go. But my view is that I think there should be an option, if possible, for um, away fans to, to 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 be together in an away area. Um, in women's football, um, I think it just might help the atmosphere, um, and I just think that um, you know it, it means that because uh, Lewis, there was Palace fans scattered all over the place. You know, I mean, we we we've changed ends at half time to go to the end towards we we were attacking in the second half, so we sort of walked past around the back of the main stand, and there's loads of Palace fans sitting in there with Lewis fans, you know. Um, and that's great, you know, let, let, that's fine if they want to sit in there. And actually, you know, some people prefer to sit along the side rather than behind the goal, you know, because they get a better view of the game in their view and, and, and stuff like that, which is fine. But I just think there should be, where possible, um, an area where just to increase the atmosphere, really, of, um, of uh, you know, um, and when, when we played Liverpool at home, Liverpool fans sort of all congregated together and they made quite a lot of noise. Um, and I think that that helps the atmosphere. You know, we were behind the goal. They were they were they were sort of behind the dugouts along the side um, with their flags as well. And we had our flags behind the goal, and it actually made quite a decent atmosphere um, that Liverpool home game. So I just think it just adds to the you know to the you know what we need in here is we need to be making this. Um, this the product, I suppose, the overall product. We need to make it something that is um is that the people will want to see and i think the atmosphere is part of that you know I, if, I, if i'm watching a game on tv um and the atmosphere is dead and whatever you know i just think oh you know but where there's a where, where there's a where there's a really vibrant atmosphere in a match um it makes all the difference i think you know and i, I think that will help but i don't think it should be compulsory i don't know what you feel about that um i think what i'm going to say phil is because I think this is actually a very interesting topic, has quite a bit of depth to it. Um, so I think what I'm probably is we'll hold off on it, because um, what we do will be the preview for Cholden, um, and there'll be no match preview to do. So I think this would be a good 
topic that I can get you to say. Everything you just said again. <laughs> I think, but I think it'd be good because, like for me, I think there's there's two words to look at, which is one which you're completely spot on about the atmosphere, because you know it's when you spread out everywhere, it does weaken your head to if you if you've got a lot of people in in together. Um, but I suppose on the flip, the other side of that is one of the pleasant things about the women's game is the fact that it's far more friendly. It, you know, it's, you can talk to your fans. I mean, in that Liverpool game, we had, I've always seen it at, at the terrace, our terrace as the home stand um, at Hayes. But there were, the first half, there were Liverpool fans in it. Um, cause I remember having a little bit of banter with them. And, um, I suppose that's one of the positives. Whereas, I suppose some could say that if you start having areas that you say, right, no, this is the away area, this is your home area, could it then, if, as the game grows, could it create that same element that some people, I say some people, mainly egg chasing fans who've got nothing better to do than try and tell us our sports not as good as theirs when they're wrong. But, you know, we always hear rugby fans, oh, we can, we can be together as fans, it's not an issue, blah, blah, blah. Well, in the moment, in the women's game, that's the same. Um, but if we start having, saying, well, actually, you know, home go here, away go there, would we spoil that? Would we possibly encourage the, um, the separation of the two, if that makes any sense? So I think it's a very interesting topic, actually, that has more depth to it. So if you're all right with it, because I'm just so very mindful of the time, um, we'll um, park that here and we'll come back to that. Um, and I expect you to repeat everything word for word as you said it now. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure I can do that. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Uh, write it down. Listen to the recording and write it down. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll, 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 when we do the Cholton review, uh, preview, uh, once we talked about the circus for twenty minutes, we'll uh, go. Off. We'll we'll um, we'll look at this topic and actually in depth and actually the two you know at, at the different sides to it because I think it's actually you know a really valid point you've got and um, definitely something that we can kind of sink our teeth into because it's probably an element at the moment of the women's game that people don't talk about. They're not really considered because there's so much that so many other things that need to be considered. Um, so yeah, no, great, great subject, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll remind me because my memory is shocking. But yeah, we'll we'll do that on the next pod. If you're happy with that, yeah, thanks, Mike. Lovely, cheers, mate. Well, in that case, um, we'll call that a day. Um, just thanks as always to uh, all those who've been here during the show, listening uh, to all those who listen to this on a recording. Um, Ben, as always, always appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, listen to everything that we waffle on about, and with your, all the input that you put in, um, it's always greatly appreciated. And feel yourself as always. Uh, you know, um, two grumpy old men's better than one. As well as two, and as well as two in the Muppets, because you know, moany jokes to yourself is just ain't as funny. <laughs> But um, you know, it, yeah, it's you know, as always, thank you for for doing this with me. Um, 
Especially when I sprung on you last minute because I was trying to work out where my shifts this week when I'd be able to do it. Um, so, yeah, no, thanks as always for all your input as well and uh, help making these possible. And, yeah, just thanks everybody. Um, and hope you tune in next time. Hope you've enjoyed the talk. Uh, sorry, it's probably gone on longer than what some people wanted to listen to. But, um, no, thanks to everybody. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there for tonight. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot, Ben, again, for everything. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers. Take care.